commandments, and of course they point us in the direction that Israel to be at first a God-centered, God-worshiping people as they are gathered together now before God at Sinai and then continuing on throughout the rest of their existence. And then, like the God they serve, they are to be, in addition to a people who love God, a people who love one another and who love their neighbors as well. And thus begins this portion of the Decalogue instructing us in how do we exactly love each other? What does that look like? We can't be sure whether this started the other tablet of the Ten Commandments or not, or whether there was one uh, set of the Ten Commandments and a second set of the Ten Commandments, but nevertheless, they certainly do represent these two ideas. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And as the Lord transitions now into this portion of the Ten Commandments, He begins with this most familiar of relationships, this most foundational of relationships for all of us, that is to say, how do we treat our parents? Not all of us are parents. All of us, though, were children and our children in some way or another. So let me read it for us again, just this one verse from Exodus 20, verse 12, the Word of God. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all blessing and glory and wisdom and honor and power and might. To you belongs it all. And we pray now that as you have called us to honor others, that you would help us to understand that and heed it in our lives. Lord, speak to us afresh from this living and active word we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin to consider this commandment today together, I want you to think for a moment about the last time you were lifting a series of things. So, for example, think of the last time you helped a friend move or you moved yourself and you had a number of boxes and uh, pieces of furniture that you were moving or perhaps think of uh, putting, I don't know, putting your Christmas decorations away uh, or working outside. And if, if none of that comes to mind, here's perhaps the simplest one. Last time you unloaded the groceries out of the car, assuming that you had somebody there who was helping you think about lifting things for a moment. If you were moving these things, think of the groceries, you move certain bags, and you know that the bags are packed in a certain way, either by you or by the folks at the grocery store, so that they are appropriate to what's in there. So some bags are very light. They might be the bags that have some eggs in them, and they have bread and, uh, and, and things that are light. And other bags are the heavy ones, the things that have the rice or the potatoes or the flour or the meats. And if you're working with somebody and you're grabbing a lot of bags together, you might say when you come to one of the heavy ones, watch out, that one's heavy. Be careful, that one's heavy. And the reason you say it, there are a couple of reasons why you say it. One, you don't want them simply to be caught off guard. If you're getting ready to lift up something that is heavy, you need to be aware that this thing's going to be heavy, and you need to be able to prepare yourself 
in a way that you don't need to prepare yourself when something is light. You don't want the person to drop the thing that they are picking up, and so you tell them to watch out or heads up. Heavy things command a certain level of respect from us. Whether it is the big, heavy bully who was in the playground, or the big, heavy rock in your garden, or the box with the books in it, heavy things demand our respect. Honor your father and your mother. Familiarity with this rather seemingly simple command may make it appear to us light. Be careful. It is heavier than you realize. Exodus 21. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Those are weighty words. Honor is the command that is set before us. Honor to esteem, to prize something highly, to acknowledge the importance of something, to revere it, to respect it, to give precedence to something. That makes sense. But it may surprise you to learn that what this word honor actually means is treat something as heavy. It's a word that we use regularly. It's usually translated in its verbal form as glorify, or in its noun form, glory. In Exodus, it's a pretty important word. In its noun form, it is that which will fill the temple, the very last section of Exodus. And it is that which Moses wants to see. Lord, show me your heaviness. Show me your glory. Glorify your father and your mother. If, uh, in a few minutes, we'll turn over to Leviticus 19. You don't have to go there right now. The, the translation there might be more literally, stand in awe of your father and your mother. Treat them as heavy. It may be the best excuse ever to put on a few pounds as you get older. Treat your parents as heavy. In these initial days at Sinai, God is establishing for the people, for his people, an order of glory or an order of honor. And in the first place, as has been clear, I, I trust to this point in the story uh, from Exodus chapter 19 from the Ten Commandments, is the call that in the first place you need to honor God. Man's chief end is to glorify God. 
and to enjoy him forever. So goes our catechism. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first four commands that we have looked at together are commands that, as much as they answer the question of how do you go about loving God, also answer the question, how do you glorify God, which is the same thing, the exact same thing, is saying, how do you honor God? Jesus upholds the weightiness of this priority on honoring God. He says this, Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The requirement, whether you're talking about Israel now at the foot of Sinai or whether you're talking about what Jesus is saying in the New Testament for us, is for properly ordered affections. And if we find that our affections, the things that we love, the things that we honor, the things that we put as priority in our lives, if we find that those things are out of whack, and I've put, for example, my wife, my kids, my parents, above God in honor, well, then the call that we've got from scriptures is you've got to reprioritize. You've got to repent. You've got to reorganize and you've got to restack those boxes because you've got to take the biggest box, the heaviest box, the weightiest box, and it's got to go on the bottom. It's got to be the foundation for everything else that you put on top of it. Honor God. But sitting right on top of that box, that next box, the next most weighty one that is there in terms of priorities is this box, honor your father and your mother. Now, now listen for a moment. You don't have to turn to it. You can just listen for a moment. Listen to how close these two boxes are to one another. Now, you just saw in the Ten Commandments how close they are to one another. Of course, we've gone through all of the commandments now about honor God, and we switch immediately to honoring your father and mother. But listen to this kind of little recap that we get in Leviticus chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, that's the definitive statement. What comes next? Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. Did you check? Did you see the reversals that take place there? He just he inverted the commandments. Commandment five came as commandment one, and then commandment four, honor the Sabbath, and then commandment two, don't make any idols, came in that order. He also reversed the order of mother and father. Don't think that you can get away with just honoring your father. Honor your mother and your father. Switches the two around right at that point. God takes parents 
seriously. Well, how do you go about honoring your parents? What do you do? You love them. You speak words of love to your parents. You don't complain about your parents to other people. You think well of your parents. You listen to the instruction from your parents, to the counsel that comes from your parents. You receive discipline from your parents when that is needed. You might serve your parents. You honor your parents by imitating your parents, by excelling where your parents would want you to excel. You honor your parents by pursuing God because parents have no greater delight than seeing their children walking in the Lord. And there are all sorts of other little things that we might do to honor our parents. Where do they sit at the table when they come over? Maybe asking one of our parents to pray at the table out of respect for them. There are all sorts of ways to honor our parents. Now, kids, you're going to like this part. When we think of this sermon, I mean this sermon, this, this command, especially when we think of this command as parents, we, we think of it as applying to our kids. We think of it as, 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 you know, my kids really need to hear this sermon. But as most theologians look at this passage, they look at it and say, well, okay, true, true, kids need to hear this one. But the reality that is that this is a command that is perhaps more given not to your five and ten-year-olds, but to your 25-year-olds, to your 35-year-olds, even your 45-year-olds in terms of how you respond to your parents, how you honor your parents. The Israelites have been slaves, we know, for centuries. And in a slave-based economy, how is someone valued? In particular, how is a slave valued? Well, a slave is valued in a slave-based economy based on their productivity, their work output. And there weren't a lot of mental jobs for slaves to do. There was a lot of hard physical labor for slaves to do. And what happens as you get older? As you get older, you can't keep up anymore. Physically, you can try, but you can't keep up with those who are younger. And so the, and so the older in that context can become devalued. We can think of it perhaps in terms of the way that your parents get technologically out of date so quickly in these days, can't keep up with the things that you are learning and the things that you do. And again, right now I'm not talking about kids, I'm talking about us as adults looking at our parents, our older parents right now. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, our parents can become a burden to us. God has a new value system for Israel. And it is one that says, love and honor your parents, whatever their age, and whatever their productivity level is. Now, I've got to add a caveat at this point in the sermon. 
All of us are aware that parent-child relationships get complex really quickly. And all of us are aware, whether we experienced it personally or we know others who have experienced it, that some parents have functioned in a way so as to deeply wound and deeply harm their children. It's impossible in a sermon to deal with all of the circumstances surrounding something like that. But we have to recognize it, and I tell you, for the benefit of some of you who were in situations like that, though mine was nowhere near difficult as some of them, I had some of those in my own life. Some things that I had to wrestle with regarding my relationship with my parents and how to honor. It gets complex, and it gets complex quickly. And I don't want to deny that. I don't want to deny those circumstances that are out there for so many of us. But what God is doing here is not providing caveats. He's not looking at any exceptional circumstances at this particular point. What he is trying to do is to give us a baseline, a starting point, to which we say, this is what you ought to be doing with your parents, and frankly, as parents, we ought to be living our lives so that our children can give us honor appropriately. This is the baseline, then, for relating to our parents. Don't dismiss them. Don't think of them as a burden. Don't yell at them. Don't fail to visit them. Don't fail to provide for them. You know, it's interesting when you think about the commands that are in the Old Testament but also repeated in the New in Timothy to take care of your parents. That was a society which didn't have investment plans and Social Security in the way that ours does. And therefore, as parents aged, they needed the support. They needed the physical help of their children. Interestingly, our society seems backwards now in that, where kids are longer dependent upon their parents, and parents perhaps, perhaps in some cases, need less financial support than in one of these particular places. Okay, we maybe don't have those financial type of relationships, but we do have the call to continue to honor, to continue to care for them, to continue not to allow them to be lonely, to take pains and honor them. And if we take pains to honor our parents, we will find that the promises that are attached to this commandment the promises of a long life, that it may be well with you, if not specifically in every case, are at least generally true for us. This leads to a well-ordered life, a well-ordered culture, society, when children honor their parents. So honor begins with God, moves to parents, and then biblically goes beyond that. The Westminster Shorter Catechism phrases it like this. What is required in the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment requireth the preserving, the honor, and performing the duties belonging to everyone in their several places and relations as superiors, inferiors, or equals. It's not restricted to parents, to everyone, 
And that's exactly what we just saw in the Heidelberg Catechism when we confess that together. It says, honor your father and mother and all in authority over me. For through them, God chooses to rule us. Honoring your parents is the weighty box that is sitting on top of honoring God, and it is, in effect, a greenhouse. It is the place where honor grows and where you learn what it means to honor other people who were in your life as well. And we've got numerous commands throughout Scripture to this effect. Younger men honor the older men. Younger women honor the older women. Honor the emperor. Honor the king. Honor your master. Elders who rule well are worthy, the Scripture says, of double honor. Give respect to whom respect is due. Give honor to whom honor is due. All of this makes sense. All of this, we we understand it as working out or an outworking of this idea of honoring God, honoring our parents, and then honoring other people who hold these various stations within our lives or within our culture as a whole, and therefore we are to honor presidents. We are to honor judges. We might even call them your honor. We are to honor bosses. We are to honor teachers. We are to honor elders and pastors. We are to honor coaches or trainers or people who direct plays. These are weighty people in the world. They are weighty people in our lives. And we are to take time and to consider how we honor them. That is a biblically faithful thing to do, and it makes sense to us. You ascribe people honor according to their position, and in particular, according to their position as it relates to you. That is biblically faithful and biblically incomplete. God saved and loved slaves. He chose dishonorable people. They were lowest on the totem pole of who deserves honor. And God chose them. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, washed the disciples' feet. He left the seat of honor, took the place of the servant, and as the servant said, I am going to honor you, who are, by nature and of yourselves, dishonorable. Jesus who is, was, and ever will be worthy of all honor, himself became dishonored. He was stripped down. 
He was beaten. He was mocked, spat upon, accused, arrested, and crucified. Everything about that is dishonoring. The gospel can be told in terms of honor. God has all glory and honor, majesty. These are words that are all in the same range, the same field. And he created this world. And when he created this world, he created man. And he clothed man with what, Psalm 8? Glory and honor. He took that which was by right his, and he gave it to the creation. Glory and honor is yours. But we forsook God. We sought honor on our own terms. And what we found when we did not honor God or give thanks to Him as God, Romans chapter 1, was shame. We became ashamed, dishonorable. Jesus comes and he is born into this world of a woman of low estate, of no account, of no name. He's born into poverty. He lives a life not of a king, not of an emperor. That has been set aside. And now he lives the life of one who amongst the people of the world doesn't have the status of honor doesn't have the position in anybody's normal hierarchy to say that person should be honored. The one to whom all honor belongs humbled himself, took the form of a servant, and finally was dishonored and became for us that which is most dishonorable. Namely, he became sin. The writer of Hebrews is reflecting on Psalm 8 and the glory and honor that is given to man. We don't now see, he writes in Hebrews 2, everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In other words, he who had given up the glory and the honor, now because of death has been given back glory and honor. It's now his crown. He did it. He honored his father. And the father says, I will honor you. I will honor you with the honor with you, which you had before the foundation of the world. I will crown you with glory and with honor. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He brought many sons and he brought many daughters to glory, a.k.a. honor, by becoming dishonor itself, so that you and I, 
you and I might become honored by him and inherit, gain a seat of honor. That's what's amazing. Think of Hannah, 1 Samuel 2. Oh, God, what have you done? You've taken I who was bowed down in the dust, and you've raised me up, and you've given me a seat with princes. The seat of honor has now been given to me because that's the kind of God you are. That's what you do. You take the lowly, and you give them the seat of honor. Jesus gives weight to the weightless, gravity to the weak, significance to the neglected, importance to the least of these. And thus, the command expands. It doesn't follow the trajectory that I just outlined before. Husbands, honor your wives. Christians, keep your conduct among the Gentiles of the world honorable. Be very careful, James says, that in your church you do not honor the rich, but you honor the poor. Honor, Paul says, widows. Take the ones down there at the bottom of the, the, the honor priority list in the world's eyes and put them on top. Honor the widows. Honor the orphans. Honor, Peter says, everyone. Consider others more important than yourself, says Paul. And then the words that are printed on the front of your bulletin this morning from Paul in Romans 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. How will you do it? How are you going to do that this week? Hoarding honor will backfire. Give honor. Give honor at the expense of yourself. And in due time, God will exalt you. Honoring all does not contradict particular honor given to those who are in particular places in our lives as God has put them there. But it does fill out the picture. There is a structure, and then God super expands it in the gospel. Honor everyone. We have a pervasive mission in this world to extend honor, to be bearers of honor. That is what Jesus did. He took the dishonorable and he made them honorable through union with him. You and I now have the mission. Conduct yourselves honorably before the world. Give honor to people who, whether they deserve it or not, should receive that honor. Now, let's be careful here for a moment. Giving honor does not mean we should all be Southern. Giving honor does not mean we should all think back to our caricatures of medieval knights and what does honor look like. Giving honor does not mean we should think back to Victorian England and say, okay, well, how did they do honor then? 
Honor must be expressed in time and space, in our culture, in our subcultures, in ways that make sense. So you've got to think through, how do I honor people? You've got to try different things and think through ways to say, this is a way that I can honor people. Whether they are weighty people or whether they are not weighty people whom you are seeking to honor. We're not trying to call evil good and just honor people who do evil things. But we are trying to say, how can we extend the honor which has been graciously given to us to the people who are around us in this world? The seedbed, the greenhouse, the incubator for this pervasive and this extensive giving of honor to other people is this. Honor your father and your mother. Be careful. It's weightier than you think. Let's pray.